Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Diets Redefined with me, Annie, and just me. So today I'll be diving into the subject of PMS, why certain things crop up around the time of your period, like hunger, cravings, fatigue, etc., and how these feelings can often be amplified during perimenopause as well. And you know we're about the facts here. And I think it's very important to explain what the evidence actually says, because there's an awful lot of pseudo advice and misinformation surrounding PMS, surrounding female cycles, and when it comes to perimenopause and nutrition. You know, we're even told that you have to fast, intermittent fast, differently as a woman in line with your hormones, which just isn't evidence-based. And yeah, it's a bit of a minefield. Also, if you ever felt like you'd been left in the dark about perimenopause or even just the impact of female hormones on your body for most of your life, you're not alone. And it's really important to understand what's happening in our bodies, what's happening with our mood and hormones to help us rationalize, to help us meet ourselves with compassion and navigate these times which happen very frequently. You know, when you're super ravenous before your period, you're moody and tired, it can be really helpful to understand why that is. So we can label what's going on and say, ah, this is my hormones, this is PMS. And so how can I pivot? How can I create space for myself? Ask for what I need these next few days or longer. As opposed to, um, I'm a cranky bitch who can't stick to her diet and I'm bloody useless right? So despite what the influences of social media say as well, there's no blueprint for perimenopause or for navigating your menstrual cycle, because believe it or not, we're all different. We all have completely different genetic makeup and experiences. So let's dive right in to what's going on during PMS with hormones and how this is impacting your body or might be impacting it, should I say. First things first. There are two phases of the menstrual cycle separated by ovulation. So we've got the follicular phase that begins on day one of your period up until ovulation. And it lasts around 13 to 14 days on average. And that's characterized by low progesterone and low estrogen to begin with. But we see a gradual increase in estrogen across the follicular phase and a very sharp rise right before ovulation. And then we have ovulation followed by the luteal phase where we see a rise in progesterone and a secondary rise in estrogen, but less so this time. And that lasts 14 days on average for the average cycle length, which is about 28 days. But we know that this varies person to person. Some are shorter and some are longer. And some can change over the years, especially as you start approaching perimenopause. And it bears noting that this fluctuation in hormones, as well as FSH and LH, and the hormones upstream of estrogen and progesterone, aren't just governing what's going on with your endometrial lining, with ovulation, etc. There are sex hormone receptors on a majority of the organs in our body. And so those fluctuations are physiologically impacting your gut, sleep, mood, things like that, which we rarely speak about. 
and some of the common experiences in the luteal phase, that's the second half of your cycle post ovulation, include increased hunger, cravings, mood changes, fatigue, all of which can really impact you on your fat loss or health journey. But I think it's important to know so often we're told how we're going to feel at certain points in our cycle by people or quote unquote hormone experts on social media with books and fasting protocols to sell. You know, so often we're told how we're going to feel in perimenopause or with any women's health issue, right? I see it with endometriosis as well. There are these sweeping assumptions made. You know, you're in your luteal phase, so you're going to feel hungrier. You're going to feel weaker, lower in energy, less focused. You're not going to be as strong in the gym. And what happens when we take these absolute messages on is it can become a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, that person on TikTok told me I'd be hungrier on day 14. And so you are. Don't get me wrong. It often fits with a lot of people's experience, but it's so important to recognize the individuality of experiences between different people. The fact that feelings and symptoms might vary cycle to cycle in our lives. There are many other factors that can impact hunger, energy, and so on as well. Um, And even different factors that can make PMS symptoms or perimenopause symptoms worse, like stress, for example. But I digress. So why do these things happen? And let's basically just pull this apart separately. So Firstly, hunger. This is a big one. My clients often report feeling hungrier towards their period or generally less satiated and satisfied from the same meals. And so the risk of overeating is up or quote unquote falling off the wagon or even, you know, your risk of emotional eating, especially when we combine possible increased hunger and mood fluctuations. So what gives? Progesterone does impact hunger and if we remember progesterone is dominating in the luteal phase we might also have lower quality sleep in this phase which will impact hunger hormones it will impact your mood and it will impact your body image as well so how you feel about your body and we know if you're on a fat loss journey you're using the scale your body check-in that can then impact and influence eating behaviors if you're in perimenopause you know, sleep, that's a big one with regards to hunger as well. Um, Estrogen impacts hunger by downregulating one of our hunger hormones, ghrelin, which acts to increase our hunger. So if estrogen levels are lower, ghrelin will increase and thus can make us feel hungrier. Estrogen also increases one of our fullness hormones, CCK. And again, if there's less estrogen, there's less of this fullness hormone. And so we're less likely to feel full and and satiated near our period. So physiologically, it would make sense why we struggle with hunger at this point in our cycles. And it's thought that this is actually driven as a result of our bodies needing more calories in the days leading up to our period. So essentially our bodies have developed a mechanism to basically seek more calories, seek more energy. So our metabolic rate or the number of calories that we burn at rest increases around this time. And a lot of the early research 
suggested that this increase sat at between 100 to 200 or so calories per day around the time of menstruation. Don't get me wrong, it might feel like way more. But there are huge variations between different people and from period to period. And the research isn't quite as concrete as social media seems to think. So in 2020, they conducted a meta-analysis, which is a really high quality piece of research that basically combines results from multiple scientific studies and runs an analysis on them and basically derives conclusions about a specific body of research. So it gives us a more precise look at a specific problem or area than a single study would. And bear that in mind when you hear big nutrition names on famous podcasts who are often pseudo basing all of their recommendations on a single study. There's nothing to say that that single study has been interpreted correctly, even if they're a scientist, um, that it wasn't erroneous or poor quality either. Um, so that's what where like a meta-analysis comes in. So anyway, what this meta-analysis found was that over half of the studies, around 14 of them, actually didn't find any difference to the number of calories burnt during the luteal phase. And just under 50% of them did. But the quality of evidence wasn't enough to give any definite numbers on the calorie amounts. Um, the quality was impacted by, you know, lack of control groups or differences in measurements between different studies, confounding factors that weren't accounted for, risk of bias, small sample sizes, things like that. And interestingly, if you actually look at the studies since 2000, there's no statistical significance on the impact of cycle phase and resting metabolic rate. In other words, the number of calories you burn. So all in all, it's very variable. We don't know the increase in calories burnt during the luteal phase or what days this happens on. So it's important to understand your own body, get to know your own body, how that differs between different cycles in response to stress and things like that. Not just listening to social media or hormone experts, pseudo ones. Um, if you struggle to be mindful near your period and you end up overeating or going way quote unquote off track and you're pursuing a fat loss goal, bring your calories up a little bit. If you're not tracking, have a couple of, an extra couple of hundred calories, have an extra snack or a large mid-afternoon bite or throw a few more carbs in your meal, for example. Give yourself permission to do that because it will help you make more progress in the long run. Think about how many times you're going to go through PMS if you're on especially a longer fat loss journey. Um, this is important if you're overeating because you're denying your hunger or you're trying to push through those days or that week. And believe it or not, you're still in a deficit over a month if you spend three weeks in a deficit and one week at maintenance. Arguably not as much of a deficit, but still a deficit all the same. Or reducing that to a week, you're still in a deficit over the week if you spend four days in a deficit and three days at maintenance. Um, and that's going to be a more productive um, and beneficial approach than if you're in a deficit for three weeks and then you become overwhelmingly hungry and experiencing everything else that's going on at PMS and you end up overeating or binging that won't necessarily look like you're on average in a deficit perhaps. So focus on supporting your hunger and satiety that week. 
So perhaps have a whole food breakfast with a whole food protein source if you usually have a liquid meal for breakfast. Make sure you're getting your 30 grams of fiber in. Focus on really high volume and satiating, but also satisfying meals. Focus on getting in three to four servings of 25 grams plus protein. If you're perimenopausal, you might be experiencing more so the impact of hormones on hunger. We've seen how estrogen impacts hunger, right? And so if those levels are fluctuating, that could be manifesting as increased hunger and reduced satiety at various points. But again, this might be quite individual and it's important to listen to your body, not me telling you you're going to be hungrier and then automatically being hungrier because placebo effect is a real phenomenon. And I think we often forget in perimenopause that I think it's often painted as this time where our oh, estrogen is declining. Um, you know, we're slowly lose, losing estrogen, but that's not what's happening in perimenopause. In perimenopause, hormones are fluctuating. So the levels of progesterone and estrogen, you know, amongst hormones upstream of those are, it's like a roller coaster. If you actually, you could you Google this, but if you actually look at a graph of what's happening to hormones, they might be higher than your pre-menopause levels. They might drop really low. They might go back up again. There's this big fluctuation going on. So it's not just a steady decline in estrogen. And that might be why you feel like everything's just going a little bit insane in your body. So that brings me on to cravings, which you might notice increase around this time. And hunger will play a role here, but so might the increasing emotions around this time. We'll talk about that in a bit. I also think that there's this fact that the, the fact that we've always paired periods and food cravings, and that naturally will drive us to associate these two things and, and drive cravings. Um, as well as in, insulin sensitivity may be lower in the luteal phase, which could have an impact as well. But again, research is pretty inconclusive. So making sure you're being mindful not to restrict or deny yourself of these craving foods, because that will only result in more cravings, as well as risk of overeating because you feel guilty or you feel like you've screwed up when you do eat these foods and you struggle to eat them in moderation. So practice mindful inclusion of these foods. Plan a specific portion at a time when you aren't massively hungry and susceptible to overeating. So after lunch, say, whilst also being mindful of your fat loss goals too. There's a lot of different work um, and strategies that we use for cravings with clients that go way beyond the scope of this podcast, but focusing on increasing complex carbohydrates, fiber, lots of lean protein sources throughout your day will help hugely here. So you don't feel like satiety and hunger are driving specific food cravings more. Not going down the route of, oh, it's nearing my period. I need to restrict my food. I need to be quote unquote good. I can't have these foods in the house or I'm going to go off track. And then disappearing down that there's nothing I can do. I don't have enough willpower kind of rabbit hole because that is not going to serve you when it comes to sustainable fat loss or health progress. And it's quite empowering instead to see it as, ah, like now is that time where I might be experiencing more hunger and potentially a natural increase in energy expenditure. And my body has created this awesomely adaptive process to provide me with that. So what can I do to support myself here and bear my nutritional fat loss goals in mind at the same time? 
One thing to note is that this might sound simpler on paper when menstrual cycles are regular, but what if they're not? For example, you suffer with endometriosis or you are perimenopausal. This might be far less predictable and it might be trickier to step back and say, ah, here's what's going on at this usual point in my cycle. What do I need here? How can I pivot? Because it might spring up out of nowhere. If you're in peri, then you've got fluctuating hormones going on outside of your menstrual cycle too, but more prolific and erratic. And so symptoms might swing in and out, out of nowhere and be super difficult to manage. In this case, I would recommend tracking symptoms on the balance app, just so you're in tune with what's going on in your body. And it also, that's going to help if you have an appointment to discuss HRT with the doctor, if that's the route you're going down. Um, it's always helpful to have like a log of what's going on your symptoms so you can discuss that and self-advocate and then really just taking each week as it comes learning to slow down and listen to your body especially if you're busy you're chronically stressed you've got kids and everyone else to cater for or perhaps you've spent a long time dieting and perhaps ignoring your body's cues now's the time to start tuning in you know, either at the start of the week, start of the day, reflecting at the end of the day, and then thinking, how am I going to set myself up tomorrow based on what's going on here, what I found about myself, just get in the habit of checking in, and perhaps using an app to do that, like the balance app, where, you know, you've almost got this physical reflection. So as I mentioned before, increasing emotions around the time before your period is very common. Oestrogen and progesterone play multiple different roles in your brain, brain, in your brain, including working memory, reward system, emotional processing, interpretation of sensory information. So ovarian hormones modulate many functional brain networks that impact mood and emotions, which might explain why we see the risk of affective disorders like depression increase around the menopause. But it might also explain the differences we notice in emotional regulation around the time of our period when estrogen and progesterone alter. But we still know very little about what's going on here. And again, there are probably going to be big individual differences and a strong interplay of genetics, behavior and environment. So your stresses as well. And remember that emotional eating is not a food problem. It's, a, it's an emotional regulation problem. And the part of our brain that helps us regulate our emotional brain, which is otherwise known as the amygdala, is known as our executive brain. And the executive brain basically applies the brakes when we experience something highly emotional in our amygdala or our emotional brain. And what's worth mentioning is that the executive brain can fatigue a lot more than other parts of the brain. So it's really affected by poor sleep or sleep deprivation. So around this phase, if sleep quality is impacted or if you're perimenopausal and sleep is not like it used to be, either you struggle getting to sleep or you struggle staying asleep or you're experiencing um, night sweats, that is gonna fatigue your executive brain way quicker in the day. And so we're less able to emotionally regulate. And this might explain why we, we feel more reactive more emotionally charged, more rageful, and why we struggle to regulate our emotions and we struggle with emotional eating or cravings at this time. 
So the executive brain as well is responsible for motivation and long-term reward and decision-making, things like that. So if that's impaired, we're less able to make choices in favor of our goals and what's important to us long-term, as well as not being able to emotionally regulate as well. So we can see how this might now play out in food choices or behaviors in perimenopause or prior to a period. Um, I think it's also worth mentioning about fatigue because that's a big one around PMS for a lot of women. Again, this might be down to poor sleep quality, difficulty sleeping, insomnia, and increased emotional fatigue. But again, we don't have much conclusive data on mechanisms for this. Um, this is a big experience for women in their menopause transition. And it, can, and it could be down to reduced sleep quality and quantity, sleep disturbances, anemia, perhaps if bleeds are really heavy. And there could be something else going on in the brain with sex hormones and that's impacting fatigue in another way. But it's also worth getting bloods there, you know, if you think it might be anemia, if you are bleeding heavily um, and lifestyle factors and stresses too that are influencing like emotional fatigue and mental fatigue and just feeling really drained all of the time and possibly the impact of sex hormones. Um, so it's clear that there are a lot of things that could be going on in the luteal phase that will impact fat loss, all of which will be individual to you. So making sure you're supporting your hunger, you've got a plan in place if your cycle is regular or you know what, helps if this does spring up out of nowhere you now have more of an understanding what's going on in your body your brain uh, in your body and your brain so it's easier to rationalize be kind to yourself and act accordingly making sure you've explored emotional coping mechanisms outside of food that you know what makes you feel better but you can also support emotional reactivity through mindfulness practices getting out in nature every day. These are evidence-based. Exercising, making sure you're focusing on sleep hygiene and perhaps this becomes more diligent around your cycle or if you're going through a difficult like perimenopause experience. Making sure that you're making healthful food choices whilst also giving yourself unconditional permission to eat rather than denying hunger or denying cravings or trying to restrict through this time in your period. Like I said, perhaps honoring that hunger, whether you're tracking or not, bringing your calories up a few hundred calories. And lastly, track your cycles, keep tabs on your symptoms, get to know any triggers and start listening to your body. Start giving yourself that gift if you're someone that possibly hasn't for so, so long. I know a lot of the women I work with, that is really the case. You know, you don't get a moment in the day to stop and think about you and your body, let alone plan ahead for, you know, what you're possibly experiencing at this time. So start getting into that, making that a regular practice, reflecting on your day in the evening, using the balance app or something like that. Just start tuning in and understanding what's going on for you. And I think that's where we'll leave it. And if anyone has any questions specifically around anything I've spoken about today or specifically about, you know, your experience in perimenopause or PMS, maybe you even struggle with PMDD, um, drop me a message. You know, I love to hear 
what's going on for you or if you feel like you need a little bit more support and you just want to you know let me know what's going on for you or Bex then drop us a message like we're open ears um and yeah you know if you enjoyed this share it with someone that might find it helpful that is struggling to understand why things uh going tits up um during PMS or in perimenopause at the minute why they're feeling the way they're feeling um obviously this isn't a comprehensive podcast on all the symptoms that might be going on in perimenopause that's probably for another time if you want that let me know um but yeah like give us um drop us a review drop us a rating if you're enjoying it um and share this to your instagram let people know this is what we're talking about um help people understand what's going on with their body and get access to this information because it's not made readily available to us. I was never taught about this at school and I went to an all girls school, God's sake. So yeah. Thanks everyone. And Bex and I will be back next week together. Um, So yeah. Ciao. Thanks for listening.